Hello, everyone, and welcome to the MMA Island podcast. I am Jack Kennedy alongside Mace Martinez and Keelan McNamara, uh, and this is your podcast for the latest in MMA. I'm Jack Kennedy, and they hit a lot harder, in my opinion, too. Mace Martinez. He put Aldo stiff in 13 seconds before Bruce Buffer could even plant his ass in his seat. I'm Keelan McNamara. He is here to stay, and I see him being a huge problem. And this is the MMA Island Podcast. So for this podcast, we have a lot to talk about, a lot to catch you up on. Um, We have a great and underrated fight night coming up. A lot of great fighters on that and a whole lot of news. So let's go ahead and get into it. The co-main event for the fight night coming up uh, is Corey Sanhagen versus Frankie Edgar and the co-main event. What are you guys thinking on this one? I think it's going to be a great fight. Uh, you know, no disrespect to Edgar, man. He's a he's a legend, uh, future Hall of Famer. But I think his time's up, if I'm being honest. And I'm surprised he's still so highly ranked at, at number four at, at bantamweight. As far as Sanhagen goes, he's number two, and and he's a great in the UFC. Uh, I know we've been high on this kid, Jack, before uh, on this podcast. We we really like this kid, so uh, he, he's coming on strong. I know he's got the submission loss to Aljamain, and, of course, Aljamain's one of the greatest. That's why he's getting a title shot. So um, I think Sanhagen is right there. I think a win over Edgar, and uh, and he's right there in the, in the title picture. So uh, as far as the prediction goes, I think that he's just going to be a little bit too much for Frankie. I think eventually he's going to overwhelm him. And I got a second round stoppage for San Hagen. TKO. Yeah, what an amazing co-main event this is. Two amazing fighters in the bantamweight division. Obviously, Frankie Edgar is a legend of the game, a legend of well, three divisions. That's how good he is. And yep. you know, former 155 champion, probably one of the greatest trilogies we've ever seen with Gray Maynard a few years ago, too. Absolutely love him. First ballot Hall of Famer, no doubt at all. Oh, yeah. But this fight to me kind of feels like I'm changing of the guard, kind of like the legend of the past meeting a future great. And I I think this is how this fight goes on Saturday night. Corey Sandhagen's obviously a world-class kickboxer. He has multiple titles in that discipline. He's been on a really, really good tear ever since being in the 135 rankings in the UFC. As Mace said, he does have a submission loss to Aljamain Sterling, but Aljamain's the title challenger, so it shows you he only goes up against the very best. Um, as for how this fight goes, I do think I think San Hagen does this. Um, I think Frankie Edgar's going to put up a traditional bulldog performance. He'll give an excellent account of himself, as he always has, and he will always do. But I see a late stoppage, perhaps late in the first or definitely in the second. If it gets beyond that, I think it's a testament to Edgar's toughness and grit. But I would be surprised if it went any further beyond that. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, Frank Yeager coming off a great win in that I didn't think he was going to get over Pedro Munoz uh, whenever he dropped down to 135. Truly a legend of the sport. I mean, there's uh, Frank Yeager is just a company man, been around for a long time, has just competed and won, uh, two-time champion, just a legend in the UFC. Absolutely. Hall of Famer, going to be. Corey Sanhagen has looked unreal, though. The way, especially, he just keeps improving. He's so young, he keeps improving every single fight. 
just knocking out Marlon Marais, and that was before Marlon, that was when Marlon Marais had like confidence and everything, and the way he finished him too mm-hmm. with that spinning wheel kick blew me away. Um, I, I love Frankie Edgar, but he is facing an animal in San Hagen. Uh, and San Hagen, I think maybe even after this win, he probably will call a shot after this win. Um, will be calling for that title shot. I, it's it's going to be hard to deny him, in my opinion. Uh, he, he looks good. I don't think Edgar will be finished. I think he's very tough to finish. He's a very good fighter. He's able to mix it in with the wrestling. But even if it goes to the ground, I don't know if I would give Edgar a huge advantage over San Hagen. He's improved down there a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm gonna go, yeah, I'm going to go San Hagen uh, by a decision. Uh, I, I think he I think he might win every single round, but Edgar. After this fight, I would say maybe one one more fight and then kind of wind down the career a little bit. Um, but for sure, I, I, Sanhagen, I think, with a win here, he's he's right up there for probably next in line for the title shot. Yeah. Yeah, fully right. agree. So next up, the main event of the evening, Alistair Overeem versus um, Alexander Volkov, this is such a good fight. Massive heavyweight implications here. Alistair Overeem obviously trying to make a run at the title again. What are you guys thinking for this great main event? Yeah, just like you said, massive implications. Both of these guys understand what, what could be waiting for him with the win over the other. Uh, obviously, Alistair has looked great his, his last a couple of fights. He's won four out of his last five, all by knockout. And then he has the Rosenstreak fight that's within those five fights, and and he was winning that fight, in my opinion, until the last, I think it was five seconds, where he got knocked out. So, uh, tough break for him there. Otherwise, he'd be five out of his last five. Uh, as far as Volkov goes, kind of the same thing. He's looked pretty good. He looked good his last time out against Walt Harris. Um, you know, stopped him with a liver kick. And he's kind of in the similar situation when he lost uh, back in October of, I think it was 2018. Uh, same that McGregor and Khabib fought. Uh, he got stopped at the last second. The fight that he was winning when Derek Lewis just knocked him out uh, with like ten seconds left. That was so crazy. Uh, yeah. Both of these guys are coming into it. You know, they they've got this loss on the record where you know they, they've they've had fights in the bag and then they've gotten it taken away from them at the last second. And that's what makes this division so exciting is that at the the drop of a hat, the outcome can can be determined and it can just swing in in any kind of way. So. Um, I think this is going to be a great fight while it lasts. I don't think it's going to last too long. Uh, I, I'm thinking second round, maybe into the maybe into the third. But uh, my official prediction is over him by knockout in a late second round. Yeah, this is a fantastic main event, and it's definitely a main event that a lot of people are going to sleep on this weekend. Uh, as me said, very much serious <clears throat> title implications for heavyweights. Alistair Overeem, they don't call him the demolition man for nothing. This man, as May said, he's been on an absolute tear in his latest resurgence. And it's really impressive how he's come back into the fold. Obviously, he was kind of like the poster boy for Francis Ngannou's rise with that vicious uppercut that he suffered. But Mm -hmm. he's shown the character that we know that he possesses. He's come back. He's looked great. He's arguably looked better than ever. Alexander Volkov is kind of in a similar position, you know, very good heavyweight, probably one of the best technical heavyweights there is, has been on a very good run as well until he lost to that sledgehammer from Derek Lewis a couple of years ago. So it's a very interesting junction that these two guys meet at, you know, two very good power punches, two guys who are in a decent run and whoever wins this, I do think they're probably catapulted 
had catapulted into the top five at heavyweight. Based on the run that he's on, I do give this to Alistair Overeem as well. Like May said, this fight is not going the distance. I can even see this being done within a round. I think I think Overeem's going to knock him out, and I think he's going to make a real statement here. Overeem kind of reminds me of like the last gunslinger. This is almost the run that it feels like that he's on, and I do think his run will continue. Overeem, sorry, Volkov has a tendency to leave his jaw open in the exchanges. His boxing defense isn't fantastic, and we all know how much of a world-class striker Alistair Overeem is. And I expect him to find an opening in that half second and take advantage of it. So Alistair Overeem by knockout for me. That is some great analysis. I love that. Another great main event uh, in a row. Um, they took a week off, off, obviously. And it's hard to come off a big Conor McGregor fight week, which is hard to believe that was the last fight. Um, but now you go into this, and I'm just looking top to bottom, and I couldn't believe it. I wasn't usually the fight nights following a big pay per view are not that great. They're just kind of putting fights over there. But this is such a good fight night. Um, so many good fights top to bottom, and none better than the main event. Uh, Overeem, you could kind of compare him to Frank Yeager. He's been around for a long time, and he has just been fighting. And somehow, some way, he's been on a winning streak. He's been looking to make a run of the title, and he's been looking fantastic uh, as of late. Volkov um, had been on a bit of a losing streak, had that really tough loss to uh, Curtis Blades where he couldn't get anything going because Curtis Blades would just take him down and he couldn't really do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but his last fight against Walt Harris, he looked amazing. He looked right back to where he was. One of the best technical strikers, probably the best technical striker at heavyweight, uh, just piecing him apart and got the got the finish. So um, he looks so good. Uh, Overing looks fantastic. This is going to be amazing. And this is really... Can Overeem make one last run at the title? If he wins this, then he's going to get that one or two fights away from a title shot, which is crazy for me to think about. Um, and I honestly, I think he'll get it done. I'm going Overeem by a uh, TKO around round four-ish, five-ish. I think it'll last a little bit longer just because I think Volkov is tough, but since the tire tends to tire out. Another thing that I think is a big factor in this is Volkov has shown a real weakness in the takedown game. Um, and Overeem has become such a highly intelligent fighter that if he is getting, I think he might even win the exchanges over Volkov just because he has such a lot of power in the, in that in there as well. Um, but if he is getting pieced up a little bit, he can close the distance, clinch for a little bit, and then and then take him down or, or just kind of wear him out a little bit. So I think Overeem will win a, a couple rounds, maybe drop a couple rounds. I think it'll be back and forth. They'll be throwing. If everyone survives to that point, when the gas kicks in, I think Overeem has it, and he is so yeah. smart. He will be able to move out of the way of the big strikes and everything, and I'm going to go Overeem um, TKO round, round four. It's my prediction. All right, so let's go ahead and let's get into the news now. We have a lot to talk about, lots of stuff <laughs> going on. GSP versus Habib Nurmagomedov is rumored. We don't know much about it. There are people saying it's happening, people saying it's not happening. What do we make of this news? Uh, obviously, this is a legacy fight that Khabib wants. You know, that, that's what he wants more than anything. I don't, it's not going to happen, in my opinion. Uh, I don't think Khabib's interested in fighting right now, and I really don't think GSP is either. Um, <clears throat> if I'm being honest, if it did happen, I think that Khabib would manhandle GSP. Um, you know, that, that's just my opinion. I think if we're talking a few years ago, then maybe it's a different story. 
But and obviously GSP is one of the greatest of all time. He's got all the skills in the world. But in his case, he would have to take take into account the inactivity uh, against somebody like Khabib. Like that's you have to be on your p's and q's one hundred percent of the time. And you're probably still not going to be Khabib. So to so to try to do this now after I think he last fought in 2017 or something like that at, at UFC yeah. or UFC 217 or something. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't I don't think that hit that he'd fare well at all right now. I think he'd get embarrassed. So, uh, but don't get me wrong, I'd watch it for sure if it happened. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's not going to happen. I don't think. But if it did, that's Khabib all day. Well, well, well. This is interesting. Uh, <laughs> For those of you, um, I'm sure everybody does know, but for those who don't, Kenny Florian was doing his podcast with John Anik. I think it was last weekend or very early this week. And, you know, just out of nowhere, he drops this bombshell. Oh, by the way, there's rumors that GSP and Khabib are in talks, as if you just dropped that as a counter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this has kind of come as a shock to everybody, and it came as a real shock to us as well. Um you know, this is the super fight to end all super fights. This is the fight everybody wants to see. Even whenever Khabib was fighting Michael Johnson, McGregor, Poirier, we've always wondered how would he do against, arguably in many people's eyes, the GOAT, George St. Pierre. The only way this fight ever happens, and I will make myself very clear on this, the only way this ever happens is at 170. Or at the yep. very least, a catch weight of 165 minimum. Yep. Yep. You know, there's been a lot of rumors that Khabib's open to this fight, but only if it happens at lightweight. And I really don't think it's fair dragging a career welterweight down to lightweight, especially a guy who's into his 40s. Plus, a super fight at 170 favors Khabib because for all of Khabib's UFC career, he's literally killed and drained himself to within an inch of fainting going down to fight smaller guys. So if he's fighting the 170, he has the power advantage. He's going to be stronger, faster, bigger. I don't understand the apprehension with going up to 170. This is a move that would favor someone like a dominant wrestler like Khabib Nurmagomedov. As for how the fight would actually go, I'm going to take a bit of a different route to Mace here. And I think GSP is the toughest test Khabib will ever have. And my evidence for it is based on this. Obviously, the last time GSP fought was 2017 against Michael Bisping for the middleweight title. And a lot of us wondered then, is this going to be the same GSP? Is he going to look rusty? Is he going to look out of shape? And it's the best GSP I've ever seen. His boxing with Freddie Roach was probably the best of any middleweight at that point. His wrestling was just as good as it was before. And GSP was as tough as he was before. And let's be clear, he took some vicious shots from Michael Bisping, who hits very, very hard, and he still weathered it and looked as good as he always has. Obviously, excellent jiu-jitsu practitioner, so it, this fight will go to the ground at some point, but GSP will be able to hold his own. When it gets to the cage, GSP's wrestling, we all know how good it is. He will be able to hold himself on his own in the cage clinches. So, it's just such an interesting fight. And like Mace said, the second Dana hypothetically announces that fight's there, I'm at the front row looking to see yep. it. Yep. I'm in the stadium three months early for my seat to see that. Mm -hmm. 
So, yeah, absolutely unbelievable fight. Do I think it will happen? Not really. I think there's a lot of politics that goes into it. It's, it's almost a bit like a boxing super fight. You know, there's records on the line. There's agents to deal with. There's characters involved. But if somehow they worked it out and it did happen, I think it would probably be the biggest fight in the history of the company. So whilst they are rumors, I'm here for it. Completely agree. I'm, I'm going to start with, I don't really think this fight's going to go down. Uh, it's it's kind of with all you guys, what you guys said. But, but another thing for me is Habib seems kind of out of it. Like he's, he's, he wants to be retired and everything. And even a fight with GSP, even then he still doesn't that full into it because this rumor um, was, was started by, or, or I guess not started by, first reported by Kenny Florian on the podcast. But, um, and he said it was a reliable coach that said it to him. We never really found out who that was. And then um, Ali, I'll, his last name said that it was not, yeah that yeah yeah exactly <laughs> my bad my bad um he said that it was not true it was not true at all so really it's just a rumor at this point if we don't see anything in in the far future the ufc is really good at hiding things until it's officially given that the fight's coming out uh so it's so difficult and that's why Dan White gets so upset at reporters when they figure out something's coming before because he likes to hide it until and the right time is to let everybody know Ariel yes exactly exactly that's that's why I think he, he got kicked out so um it's it's so tough uh to put this fight together I don't really think this is going to go down um, but then again, if this does go down, oh my gosh, that's the biggest fight ever. I mean, it's the legacy fight. These guys would probably be fighting at welterweight. I think that's the most sensible weight to put them out. I don't even know if GSP could physically make the 155 weight cut, especially with all the muscles put on from all this training and everything. So 170, I think would be a tough cut for GSP right now. Not that he wouldn't make it. That being said, huge fight. And you would potentially have two guys that would be fighting at 170 for no belt or anything, or maybe they make up another belt like they did the BMF belt. But fighting at 170 two guys that are fighting at 170 that are better than most of the t- the title challengers and the champion which is crazy to think about but it's just not even a title fight biggest legacy fight in the ufc's history um as far as who would win it how do you bet against to be I-, I completely agree with what may said but at the same time the last time i did that gsp came out there after not fighting for almost three years and put on the best performance of his career GSP is one of those rare guys who is always working, always in shape, uh, and, and always looking to improve his game, always looking to evolve his game. So I don't think he would experience ring rust in there. I think he would be ready to go. That being said, I'm not saying age doesn't exist. And when you have a guy like Habib fighting you, I can't bet against him. Um, but th- that's what makes this fight so good. You really never, you don't know what to expect with GSP especially with all this time come off, he could be the best ever or what most people think he'd be a little bit slow. You really don't know. Um, his, his standup, I would probably rate better than uh, Habib's wrestling. I would give to Habib and then on the ground, I'd say they're about even. So I don't know. It's such, it's such a good fight. Um, and, and obviously GSP is an, a phenomenal wrestler. So that also makes it, it's not like he's just going to go in there and get taken down. At least that's what people think. Who knows? It's a great fight if it ever does happen, um, but I do not think it will. Yeah, and <clears throat> this is all speculation, what we're saying, and don't get me wrong. Like I mentioned, if this was a few years ago, it, it could be a different story, but if we're talking now, when they're trying to make the fight now, I don't think GSP... No. I mean, that GSP that beat Michael Bisping that night, he wouldn't have beat Khabib. 
I don't think so. Uh, but like I said, if you're talking, if both these guys were in their prime, it'd be a different story. Yeah. Um, but but booking this right now, like Keelan said, I think GSP's in his 40s. Khabib's only 31, 32, elite in his prime. So I think it'd be a it'd be a mismatch at this point in time. Yep. One interesting cog I'll add here into the mix. GSP's never taken a fight unprepared and a fight that he's never thought that he could win. Let's remember something with the Bisping fight. Those rumors were floating around for about four or five months that GSP was coming back at 185 and he did not accept that fight until he felt he was ready. So he's not going to take a fight against the greatest lightweight of all time on a whim. For those of you who follow George St. Pierre on Instagram, you'll see how hard this man works. Yep. Training every day, doing work. I think he's in the snow. Yeah, yeah. You see, how, you see yeah. how great physical condition he's in. So, you know, don't get me wrong. This is strictly rumor. And if it does happen, the betting odds will open massively in Khabib's favor. But never write out George St. Pierre. And there was a point in time where he was... I don't know if he was test cutting to, to see how close he could, could get right. to 155 because there was some Instagram posts. He looked really slim and slender yeah. down and, yeah. and in shape. So I don't, I think he was, he, he had to have been under 170 at that point for sure. I don't know if he was trying to see how close he could get to 155 and maybe it was too much. And then he, he, he pulled out of, out of the cut, but uh, I know for a while he was test cutting and trying to get down to 155. So I don't know if that was the face Connor or Khabib or, or whoever, but yeah. Uh, who knows if he could do it or with him just to see if he could do it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. GSP. That's, that's GSP. Yep. Absolutely. All right, guys, let's move on to uh, Charles Oliveira. Michael Chandler was rumored or not rumored. It was going to be a really quick matchup for UFC 258. Oliveira turned it down, says he wants the title next. What are we thinking? I think Oliveira looked great against Ferguson. We've talked about that before. But we also just we also said that he needed another win before he fought for the title, um, and, and another thing I said was he shouldn't start turning down fights now that he's making noise at one fifty five. That's the last thing he should be doing. Um, I f- I feel like that if he keeps doing that, that the UFC is just going to jump over him, and, and he's going to get left out of the title picture because it's not like this hasn't happened before yeah, uh, with people be. with exactly with people who are deserving. Uh, but don't want to take a fight, and they end up getting overlooked. Yeah, now a, a perfect example. Now you got Leon Edwards fighting Jemayev, who's number fifteen, uh, and, and a killer, a killer, no doubt. But the number three guy in the world should not be fighting the number fifteen guy in the world. Yeah. That's just that shouldn't be happening. Um, I don't know. I, he's on a great win streak and everything. I just feel like Ferguson was overrated. I think he was damaged goods after the Gagey fight. So I think he needs another win. Um, Chandler looked amazing. Obviously, the UFC has wanted him in the title picture from the get-go. He was the backup for the Khabib Gagey fight and had somebody fallen out. So they want him in there. They're pushing him to get to get in there. So if if I'm Chandler, of course, like he did, he accepts the fight. He's ready to go. And if I'm Oliveta, I take the fight because if you beat Chandler, they can't really deny you. Oh yeah. Uh, any anymore? It's either Chandler or Gagey. Uh, Chandler or Gagey. If I'm Oliveta, um, Poirier seems interested in the in the trilogy with McGregor. Connor is obviously interested in that. That seems like that's going to play itself out. I think in, in May is what they were hoping. So, um, yeah, Oliver, I think he screwed up by, by turning this one down. 
I slightly disagree with Mason this, and I will tell you why. I think Mason's absolutely correct in pretty much everything that he said. You know, we all know how good Charles Oliveira is. We know how fantastic his run is. And we have, we've all been unanimous in agreeing that turning down fights at this stage is generally a bad idea. History will back us up on that. However, I think this is the one occasion where turning down a fight in short notice makes sense. And the reason for it is this. If you're Charles Oliveira and you're fighting it and you're running an eight or nine fight win streak and you've got an absolute pit bull in Michael Chandler who's just done what he's done to Dan Hooker, you're not going to gamble your title chance on two or three weeks' notice. You're just not going to do it. Nobody would. Now, if this was an eight or nine week situation where Oliveira was asked, right, we have Chandler available in 10 weeks for um, the summer, will you fight him? And if he turned it down then, then it would be a really bad look. And I would agree fully with Mace on that entirely. However, on two weeks' notice, I think it is a tad unfair to Oliveira. You know, he needs time to prepare for a completely different opponent in Michael Chandler. And plus, if you give him the time to prepare for Chandler, you get a far better fight. Like, look at Jorge Masvidal. Stepped in on a week's notice against Kamaru Usman. Got dominated. It's not fair to put Oliveira in that position. So even though I'm not a fan of fighters refusing fights, like you pointed out, we've seen what happened to Leon Edwards when he refused a bunch of fights. You know, we thought he was cut from the UFC for doing it. Turned out he wasn't. So I think this is the one occasion where turning down the fight makes a lot of sense in Oliveira's end. Um, You know, especially in such short notice, you know, Dana likes guys that step up and, you know, we all do. Connor's a prime example of that. But you have to be reasonable on the other end also. And this felt to me, to me with Dana, a bit too much take and not enough give. I think he tried to put Oliveira in a difficult position in the public eye by forcing him into accepting it. And Oliveira called his bluff rightly. So on two weeks notice, I think for once Oliveira is right to reject this. But it's definitely a fight that needs to happen. Like me said, we're probably going to get a Dustin Connor trilogy soon yeah. or a Connor Nate trilogy. And then you have Justin Gaethje right there in the mix as well. So, yeah, I'm on Oliveira's side on this. Yeah. Real, real quick, Jack. I, I, don't think, I don't think that the UFC is ready to give Oliveira a title shot. That's obvious because if that was the case, then it would be him and Poirier. Yep. 100% in my opinion. I think that Nobody said that Oliveira deserved the title shot, but the fans and Charles himself, and of course Dustin as well. But as far as the brass goes for the UFC, and, and especially Dana, I don't think they feel that he's ready for the title shot. So I, I don't see him turning this down and Dana saying, oh, well, let's just give him a title shot because he didn't want to fight Chandler. I think Chandler's going to pick up a fight somewhere else. Maybe that's Justin Gaethje. Uh, Gaethje's already looking to try to get a fight with Nate if, if the Connor Poirier trilogy goes down so it's like they're forgetting about him already like okay connor doesn't fight chandler's like our gate is like i'll fight nate okay that leaves chandler and who i mean that chandler and Oliveira to fight so if he's turning down that fight i mean i have a feeling they're just going to push him out they're gonna because i don't think that the ufc is ready to give him that title shot so i don't know i just I just don't think it's good for him to turn it down. It won good. And obviously it was short notice and, and 
if we learned anything from Ferguson taking a short notice fight against Gaethje when he had that title oh, yeah. shot lined up against oh, yeah. Khabib, a title shot that he had earned over and over again, you don't do it. But I don't necessarily think that Oliveira had earned his title shot as much as Ferguson had at that point. There was no question that Ferguson and Khabib should have fought five times. <laughs> it was scheduled five times. But there was no question that each time they tried to make that fight happen that Ferguson was the number one contender. He was a le- legitimate shot at the belt. I don't think that's how the UFC sees Charles Oliveira. So I think he just turned down a fight. Obviously, I don't know what he is now. I think he's number three. So I want to turn it down if I was him. Even if you get beat, I think that I think the company is going to respect that and that you took that fight. Chandler is obviously a hell of a fighter. He just came in and destroyed Hooker. So I don't think it does too much damage to you if you if you get take that fight and you lose. If you take that fight and you win, like I said, you're undeniable at that point. So uh, he should have took it in my opinion. But uh, Keelan made some great points as well. Yeah, um, I absolutely agree with Mace. I think he actually outlines his argument excellently. The problem I have with this is if an eight or nine fight win streak doesn't get you a title shot, then win streaks just become meaningless and we can give title shots to anyone at any ranking in any position. I don't want Charles Oliveira to become another Tony Ferguson, a guy who's earned a shot and rightly calls a shot and gets looked over over and over and over again. And by the time he finally gets a shot, he's not the same fighter that he was who earned it. So... Like I said, I'm on Olivero's side on this, and I think public opinion is on Olivero's side on this. Like me said, Tony Ferguson stepped up on whatever week's notice it was. It wasn't much, and he got absolutely demolished by Justin Gaethje, and it left him a shadow of his former self, who then got picked off by Olivera. And Olivera knows full well that's what happened to Ferguson, and he will not let it happen to him. Because Michael Chandler fights incredibly similarly to Gaethje. He carries similar power to Gaethje. And if you go in in two weeks' notice against a completely different style of fighter, you're never going to fight your perfect fight. So I want Oliveira to get the time that he needs to prepare and put on the best fight possible against Gaethje. Or, sorry, Chandler. Because that way you guarantee yourself the fight and you write the story for Oliveira's title shot within that. History has shown guys who have earned their shots, whether like Dillian White in boxing with the WBC, guys who earn their shots and then justifiably call their shot for getting the right preparation time, get looked over again and again and again. And people just want to see them fight, lose once and take it away from them. So whilst Mace is absolutely right and rejecting title shots generally doesn't look good, you're kind of damned if you do and you're damned if you don't do your Oliveira. Personally, I think this works out better for him if he takes his time, prepares properly, and puts on a show against Chandler. Is However, real quick, huh? just real quick, is there give a button? Yeah, yeah. Here's here's where I'm at with this. Right, he also denied a fight against Gaethje just a little bit ago. So that's it's not that he's. I don't think the time is necessarily the thing with Charles Oliveira. I think that it's that he thinks he deserves the title fight already. And he has a bit of a backing for it, but I think in his mind he thinks that that's a dangerous path to be on because there, there are two different fighters. There's Max Holloway and there's Leon Edwards. Max Holloway should have had a title fight in his mind and in a lot of people's minds as well, but he kept going and he kept fighting and he kept fighting and he kept fighting until he got that title shot. And yes, that's risky, but sometimes that's what you have to do. 
Charles Oliveira, I think, has the skills to beat a lot of people in that division. Everyone in that division is are, are they're killers. But if Charles Oliveira pulls the the Leon Edwards path, which is okay, I've worked my way up to here. I deserve the title fight, and you get a whole new mixture of contenders going in there. All of a sudden, all of these other guys are getting fights, and they just get one more fight than you, and then all of a sudden they're ahead of you, and then there's another guy ahead of you, and there's another guy ahead of you, and all of a sudden your claim for a title shot has gone a year by, and you haven't fought while all these other guys have fought. That is dangerously close to happening for Charles Oliveira. Now, do I think he's right in the fact that he deserves a title shot? Maybe, because of the fight and the way that's played out with everything. I think he might actually have a claim to that. But the way the UFC works, the way that Dana White wants it to go, I don't think he wants Charles Oliveira to get the title shot because he's not the biggest draw. Justin Poirier, Connor three is a huge draw. Uh, Justin Gaethje, you throw him back in, he's a big draw. Michael Chandler, Justin Poirier is the biggest fight to make. He wants that to happen. Um, so Charles Oliveira turning on these fights, you, you just need one more. You're one fight away. Uh, and, and I thought if Connor won, then he would still be that one fight away. But the way things shook out, then he has a better claim at that. So he needs to fight. I think at short notice, I, I agree with Keelan 100%, but he should at least make it known that, okay, I'll fight him, but not this, this close. He needs to make it known that, um, because he is going on a very dangerous path right now. And Dustin Poirier is not in any trouble because he's already solidified his, his, his uh, spot at, at fighting for the title. So he's just sitting back waiting for every, the whole rest of the mess to work itself out. And if Charles Oliveira doesn't make a statement or, or stand out in some sort of way, he'll get looked over really quickly. Yeah, you make two excellent points during that. And, of course, Poi is not worried about anything because if you just knocked out Conor McGregor and made millions of dollars, you ain't worried about shit. Yeah. Like you said, <laughs> good, I'll, sit yeah. back and I'll, I'll sit back and I'll let this play itself out. Basically saying, he literally said it, make them for the title shot. I'll sit back and watch it play out. That's not what the UFC wants. One of the, fir- the first point you made, excellent point, this isn't the first top five guy he's turned down. He turned down Justin Gaethje. Now he's turning down Michael Chandler. Okay, so that's, that's two top five opponents that he's turned down back to back after beating a guy who was already beat. Let's be honest. The second point is he's not a major draw. Chandler will be eventually. After the, the debut, he'll yeah. be a big draw. Yeah. Oliveira is not a major pay-per-view draw. He never has been. So um, uh, Charles Oliveira, Michael Chandler, main event for a belt right now, isn't going to do the numbers at the UFC could get out of it later on down the line. And and that just takes me back to my point. That's not the UFC does not want him with a, in a title shot right now with a title opportunity. So I think he's going to screw himself out of this. You know, they've offered him Gaethje, they offered him Chandler. There's nobody left. Connor Poy doing that thing. Gaethje trying to do something different. Like there's literally nobody else unless you fight down the rankings. And you know how we feel about that. Yeah. Unless you fight down the rankings. That's dangerous. And then you take an L there, and then you're really screwed. So, in my opinion, he should have taken Gaethje when he was offered it. He should take he should have taken Chandler when he was offered it, regardless of how short notice it was. And and it would have worked out for him a win or loss. Yeah. Yeah. I do um, feel bad. Go for it, man. No, sorry, I'll just make one more quick point hey. about this and then we'll get on because it's a very hey, I, we're good. Let's keep it going. Yeah. Yeah. Um I think Mace is absolutely correct. Taking fights in short notice and winning them emphatically, it's literally the perfect medicine for the UFC. It's what Dana White wants. It's what the fans want. It's the tried and tested formula. And I do think your analogy, Jack, of sort of the tightrope between a Holloway situation and a 
Edwards situation is a very apt one to create. My thing is, Oliveira has not refused to fight either of these guys, to the best of my knowledge. All he wants is the time and the camp to prepare for them. And that's very different to what Leon Edwards is doing. Leon Edwards is basically parking the bus, doing a sit-in protest and refusing to fight until he gets the strap opportunity. Oliveira is not doing that. Oliveira is willing, as far as I can see and hear, to fight anybody in the division as long as he's got the appropriate preparation for it. So I think I do think he's starting to sail close to the wind. And I think the point about rejecting Gaethje as well as Chandler is an excellent point that Mace makes. So he does have to be careful in how long he's willing to gamble and play this game. But I think personally, if I'm Dana, if you give Charles Oliveira the camp and the time that he needs, this works out the best for him. Because if Oliveira goes in in two weeks and he gets absolutely smashed by Michael Chandler, you've just lost a legitimate title contender. And let's not forget mixed martial arts behind football is the number one sport in Brazil and in most of South America. So Oliveira is always going to be a huge draw there as well as in the United States and in Europe. So, you know, even though Charles does have to play this carefully, I have absolutely no issue accepting that the UFC need to look at their hand that they're holding and see whether it's worth playing chicken over this too. Yeah, I mean that's that's good. The, my 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 thing is, and we can keep going with this. I love it. My thing is that like, it's I, he probably deserves the title fight. I, I, the way it's 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 played out, but the way the UFC is, and what's dangerous for me is, even though I, I feel bad for him because really he he should make a claim for the title fight. And I, I the, the the short notice thing I think is is a play on it, but I think his big thing is I don't really want these fights anyways. I want the title fight, uh, in in his mind, um. And it's just dangerous. It's a dangerous road when you have a bunch of when you're in a crowded division. Um, you you can do this in other divisions. Uh, well, used to be able to do this in a lot of divisions where if you have you have the right um, to to the title fight, you kind of let uh, everybody recover and you're good to go. But when you're in these these divisions, especially with a guy like Michael Chandler, who's a former champion, a longtime champion in another organization, comes in there and knocks out Dan Hooker, which no one has done before. You have a bunch of killers sitting behind you. It's just a dangerous road to play. And I hate it for him because every single fight against one of these guys is dangerous. But you're going to have to take that risk with a bunch of these guys. And I just think it's the UFC doesn't want him there yet. They, they want him to make it so that there's no doubt in their minds and in everybody's minds that he deserves it because I think they want other guys in there. Uh, and, and that's just a dangerous spot to be on is how long do you fight it before you're fighting a, your, the next Chumaya of your division? Yeah, and I think Oliveira would be a problem for anybody. Yes, that's that's, and I'll tell you right now, the Gaethje fight, I favor him in. I favor him in that yep. fight. Same. The Chandler fight, after what I saw the other day, I think that'd be a damn good one. But Oliveira would have a, a great shot at winning that one too. So that's what what kind of throws me off about about not taking either one of those. I know he's on a he, he's on a, a eight nine fight win streak, like like Keelan mentioned. And this is a legitimate question. How many top five, ten guys has he beaten here in that streak? Like, I know he beat Ferguson. Before that was Kevin Lee. I think Kevin Lee was the top ten at a, at a point in time. Kevin Lee isn't what we thought he was going to be. At least, I mean, I know he's, no, he he's had so that. Hard. <laughs> right. He, he had a great knockout a few months back. But so, really, he's beating Tony Ferguson, who had his ass handed to him the, a couple months before. So I think he needs. I think he's got to get another one. 
and I, man, and I, I just forgot my other point I was going to make. But <laughs> the, the other thing too, I think that would solve this whole thing. If this, if this is strictly about the title, like Keelan, in your, in, in your opinion, if Dana was to say, okay, we'll give you Chandler, we'll put the belt on the line, would he take the fight? Yeah. Would Charles yeah. take the fight? I think this is very yes. Strong, yes. Bring him in. I think yes. So that, that proves my point. I don't think it's about timing. I don't think it's I have two weeks to prepare. I think he feels he's entitled to this title shot because of the win streak he's on and because of the win over Ferguson. So if you if 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 Dana was to say, let's do Chandler at two fifty eight, which is whenever that is, two weeks away, we need we need a co main or a main event for whatever. I think it would be it would have been the co main. Let's do that. We'll put the, the, the lightweight belt on the line. I think Charles jumps all over that. And it doesn't become a matter of I got two weeks to prepare. He's he's getting the title shot that he feels like he's entitled to, and I think that's just I think that's the the deciding factor. If the bell was on the line, he'd be in. It's not on the line, so he don't care. What if they offered him to fight Poirier with no belt on the line? Is he going to fight Dustin? I don't think so. I think he wants the belt on the line. I don't think he he doesn't care who it is or when it is. He just wants the belt on the line. He wants a shot. Yeah. All right. Well. I think we will finally be moving on now. <laughs> uh, great, great job, guys. So next up, and we have t- this one will lead into the next point we have. But on the light note, and this one should be relatively quick, Zhang Wei Li is going to be scheduled to fight in April. I believe it's the rough date is April seventeenth, making a title defense, probably against Rose Namajunas. We don't know exactly for sure. What are you guys thinking about this? I'm excited to see Wei Li back, man. She's one of the fiercest competitors in the UFC. Um, I'm almost positive it's going to be Rhodes across from her. I know Dana said if it's not Rhodes, it's going to be Carla Esparza, which I really don't want to see at all. Um, <laughs> I just think she'd get worked over. Uh, yeah. uh, and and there was those rumors that Rhodes didn't want the title shot or that Dana came out and said some stupid shit like that. So obviously the Rhodes' team put that to bed. I think she wants a shot. Uh, Whaley is really tough, man. She She looks like a world beater. And, you know, the last time we saw Rose go up against somebody like that uh, was Joanna, and she pieced her up, and she's beaten her twice. So uh, I give Rose a good shot at winning this. I know we've talked about this, too. I, I think I think this is the fight that's going to happen. I think it's going to be a great fight. Uh, I couldn't predict it right now, but I, I give Rose a shot at winning that fight. I don't think she's going to be outclassed or manhandled or anything like that. I think it's going to be a great fight. And when it does happen, because she's just too technically sound to be manhandled or, or, or overwhelmed or outclassed or anything like that. So uh, hopefully this fight happens. I think it's like UFC 260 or whatever. So, yeah, it'd be a great one. And uh, maybe potential fight of the year. Maybe Whaley win it back-to-back years. Yeah. I love Whaley Zhang. I think what she's done for not just her division, but for women's mixed martial arts without yep. Joanna Jerjacek fight. Yep. It's it's immeasurable the impact that Wei Li Zhang has had already. And she's only had a few fights in the UFC. Let's be let's be clear. <laughs> Wei Li Zhang's a relative newcomer to this company and she's already had in my eyes the best women's fight of all time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So hands down. I, Oh, yeah, no question. I, as I said, I love Weili Zhang. I love watching her fight. She always brings it. She doesn't care who she goes up against. She always goes in there and gives it her all. Like you both said, um, I'm, I think it's 98% certain that it's Rose Namajunas getting the next shot. 
I do think after her performance against Jessica Andrade, she deserves it. Because let's be honest, she had a lot of psychological barriers to deal yeah. with, all with dominating yeah. the first fight and then getting viciously slammed on her neck, no less. And to come back and outbox Jessica Andrade is no easy feat. Amazing performance, old Thug Rose. I think this is going to be an unbelievable fight. And I think this could be a contender for fight of the year, male or female, like me said. Wei Li Zhang is as tough as anything. With the Yuana fight, Yuana obviously is like an elite kickboxer and she's always going to have the slight striking advantage. But Wei Li Zhang is just tough. She gets in there, she gets down and dirty and she throws those hands like there's nothing else. With Rose Namajunas, it's a very, very interesting match matchup because you have a world-class boxer in Rose Namajunas who's going to go in. She knows how to manage range very well. She's going to go in. She's going to lead with the job, get in, get out, throw hooks whenever Wei Li Zhang overcommits. But then again, if Wei Li Zhang lands one of those right hands, I'm kind of suspect about Rose's chin. And I do think if Wei Li Zhang manages to land one or two hard shots, then Rose is in trouble. But then on the other hand, if Rose can manage the distance properly this time and not get mixed up with the clinch and the wrestling game, then she is as good a shot as anyone. In fact, probably the best shot out of anyone. So this is going to be an insane fight. I love them both. They're both amazing fighters. And this really is the fight to make. This is just a gem of a fight to land. What I love about this so much is that I think it's also it's it's rumored, but I'm also pretty sure this is going to be a headliner for this card as well, which it absolutely deserves to be. Two women that are going to go out there and put on an absolute show. There are very few fights where you can absolutely guarantee that it's going to be a war, and this is one of them. Zhangui Li is has some of the most power is one of the most powerful women you you can see, especially that one fifteen pound division. I think probably the most powerful ever in that division. Um, and then you have Rose Namajunas, who is arguably, I mean, Yuan in her day. I mean, it's hard to beat that, but um, arguably, mm-hmm. I mean, she beat Yuan twice. The most technical, well rounded uh, striker in that division. Um, we just saw the fight of the year, not only the one, the best women's fight of all time, one of the best fights of all time, period, against Yuan yeah. and Jake Tech. Just went oh, out yeah. there and threw. I, I, I love it. Um, and I want to give Yuana her credit as well for really shaping this division and getting so many contenders in and so many people into the sport. One of the most exciting fighters you could watch. And even though she's past her prime, going out there and fighting Wei Li like that was insane. A little bit of a side note, back to the thing. Probably going to be Rose versus Wei Li as it should be. This is one of those things where Rose is absolutely next in line. You really, it would be hard to argue otherwise. Um, so I, I think she definitely deserves her, her shot. I don't know. It's tough for me. It's tough to bet against Wei Lee, but I mean, if anyone could challenge her, it would be Rose Namajunas. And if she's on her day with those kicks and everything, it, it's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be really interesting to see a lot of back and forth. I mean, Really, the only thing I can say about this right now is it deserves to be the headliner. I think it will be the headliner. So great to see them in there, and it's going to be a war. That's all you need for a fight. You don't need trash talk. You don't need anything. Just have those two ladies right there, and you know you're in for a show. I'm so excited. Yep. And One other thing that I love so much about this fight, I think out of any division, men or women in the UFC, with the exception maybe of men's flyweight with Davison Figueiredo and Brandon Moreno, this is the clearest, most even match yes. number one versus number two. 
And that's what I love so much about this fight. Yeah. It almost brings some balance back to the title challenger, a champion challenger dynamic. We know, as far as I'm concerned, in the 115 division, Wei Li Zhang is the queen. Rose Namajunas is number one. And Joanna Jajajek is right behind Namajunas. So it's nice to see such an even match, number one versus number two. And this is going to be an amazing headliner. Like Jack said, it is more than worthy of headline status. Yes, absolutely. Now, closing the podcast today. Uh, what is this? It's another another stupid thing we have to put on here. However, <laughs> relating right back to what we just said, Stephen A. Smith, obviously legendary MMA reporter, uh, said that he, <laughs> he does not want women to fight in the UFC. Uh, it's too tough, too rough for him, whatever. Sound off, guys. What are you thinking? Well, let me just let me just clear up what Jack said. That's bullshit. <laughs> I don't know if you could tell if he was joking or not. Uh, but, um, so it, it started out with Stephen A. saying, and I'll paraphrase the quote. It's, it's I don't ever want to see a woman boxing a man, and I don't ever want to see a woman in the UFC fighting a man. Well, no shit. Like neither do we. We don't want to see that either. Okay. What a bold take. Uh, yeah. Those comments are ignorant, and I know he's catching a lot of slack about being sexist. Those comments are ignorant. They're not really sexist, in my opinion. They're ignorant to make because well, nobody wants to see that. Who the hell would want to see that? So that's just stupid right off the bat. But when he says, when I think about them in pugilistic, pugilistic sports at all, I don't want to see women in it at all. Then that starts, that's borderline. That that jumps up to, to sexism right there, to, to being sexist. So first of all, Every single woman on the UFC and Bellator roster can whoop Stephen A. Smith's ass. I think yep. he knows that. Uh, so I don't think he's questioning their ability to fight. Um, we, we've all seen the video of him hitting pads, right? You've seen the video of Stephen A. hitting mitts. Uh, he has no room to question anyone's combat ability. He's like, I, so I don't know why he would say this. Um, obviously, like we just mentioned uh, with Whaley and Joanna, fight of the year for mixed martial arts between those two amazing women. Um, so it's just, everyone's entitled to their opinion, even Stephen A, but that doesn't mean you have to go out and express your opinion. Um, man, when it frustrates me when I see Stephen A and, and Skip Bayless and, and Shannon Sharp and Max Kellerman. And they're, they're talking about martial arts. Like, don't like it's embarrassing yeah. they're uneducated yeah. um max kellerman is a brilliant boxing mind he can talk boxing all day and all night no issues with that whatsoever he knows his stuff when it comes down to the, the sport of boxing but to to sit there and, and say that fighting like i mean the the, the comments ahead about the Cerrone mcgregor fight and all this crap like just all the disrespect going towards Cerrone and all that it just that really frustrates me, but one thing I did like was all the women coming out on, on Twitter and, and kind of giving their opinion on Stephen A and saying that, you know, they didn't need his support and they didn't need this and that. Yeah. And I, I thought that was great, but this dude just needs to stick to basketball, if I'm being honest, because he knows nothing about MMA. He needs to stop, you know, commenting on it, period. Stephen A. Smith, I love your takes. Well, not love. I respect your takes on the NFL and the NBA. But for the love of God, man, stick to that world. <laughs> yeah. This is, t- out of two comments he's made about the UFC, 
He's made himself look like a fool twice. He has a perfect record of looking like a complete idiot talking about the UFC. That Donald Cerrone comment that he made was just insulting. And I don't know where on earth he's got this take from about women fighting in the UFC and in mixed martial arts as a whole. You know, there's so many different avenues we could pick him apart in this, but I'll try and stick to the main ones. Ronda Rousey showed girl, little girls and women what was possible for women to achieve in the fighting world. Gina Carano was probably the number one. She was sort of like the beginning of this whole thing. Whenever she fought, she showed what was possible, that there was a path for people like Ronda Rousey to compete and enjoy what they love. Ronda Rousey, whilst I have my own opinions on her fighting style and everything else, Ronda Rousey was a beacon to women of what was possible, not just in mixed martial arts, but in combat sport. You know, she was at one point, she was the biggest fighter, man, man or woman in the UFC. Yeah. She was in magazines. She was an inspiration. She was key to the revolution that we've seen over the last couple of years. And Stephen A. Smith, if you need any more convincing on why women should fight women, Zhang Weili, Joanna Jerzejczyk, look it up, watch the full fight, because clearly you haven't, clearly you don't watch this, and clearly you do not know what you're talking about. That, the women overshadowed the men that night. That's yeah. how good of a fight this was. If you've seen a better display of grit and guts and heart and respect, then show me, because I haven't seen it. And even if, you know, the mixed martial arts arguments just non-existent, but even for this pugilistic argument about women boxing women, look at my countrywoman Katie Taylor in boxing. You know, absolutely world-class athletes. Shows yep. as good of display as any of the men in boxing. Yeah. Mixed martial yeah. arts unbelievable boxer puts in as much effort and work and has as much talent as any man that there is you know we could go on and on and on about this but i think our position is pretty clear and i think the position of the entire mixed martial arts community is perfectly clear on this issue and on Stephen a smith yeah and and if i'm not mistaken um the co-main and main event for i think ufc was at 193 that was in front yeah. of the biggest, the biggest crowd that there's ever been at a UFC event, unless no. that's been popped already. But yeah, in Melbourne. Well, oh, yeah. that was, but then uh, Izzy versus uh, oh, well, that's right. Well, right at the right. time, that was the biggest. Yeah, but we're talking women. They they headline and, and co-headline one of the biggest events in the, in the promotion's history. So this dude's just a joke. Yeah, completely agree. I'm gonna every time I hear about Stephen A. Smith talking about MMA, Skip Bayless, Shannon Sharp, the big four that you mentioned pretty much, Max Kellerman. I, I, it just makes me hurt inside because obviously we do research for this podcast, right? And we know what we're talking about because we watch MMA. We love the sport of MMA. Uh, we follow everything. We know what we're talking about. When Stephen A. Smith, a guy who has the platform that he has, he's probably the most famous reporter out there, especially probably maybe ever. Uh, and, and he goes in and he gets all of these, this, this, uh, anything he says, he's going to get media coverage for it. So he, he knows what he's doing. He likes to incite a little bit of back and forth, but 
every single time it comes down to MMA and he says something, almost every single time it is completely a terrible take because he doesn't know what he's talking about. And it just makes me so upset. I admittedly, I know pretty much nothing about hockey. I won't go in there and I won't say uh, a, a big player, hockey player's name and say, boom, a big take about that because I know nothing about that. I will stay out of that. I will let other people do their thing. I shouldn't even be involved with a hockey event. He shouldn't even be involved with the UFC event. It should not even be that. Skip Bayless, Shannon Sharp, the same problem I have with them. I, I don't know if you guys saw the video of them discussing Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier. They start talking, and half of what they say, they know nothing what they're talking about. They, they still think they, they completely forgot about the, the cowboy fight with Conor. They don't even know who Dustin Poirier is. They, they seriously don't. They, they totally searched him up for 30 seconds before they went on the show and said, oh, this guy's from Louisiana. He lost to Conor before. Conor's going to win again. That was their take on it. They didn't know anything. It, it, it just frustrates me. And then I haven't even gotten about into this take in particular. How do you even justify this, Stephen A. Smith? It's stupid. Clearly, you don't watch the sport of MMA. You've only watched Conor McGregor fights, probably two of them, three of them maybe. Habib, uh, for, for probably, you probably didn't even watch the whole fight. Habib, the Conor 42nd one, and probably the Dustin Poirier Conor McGregor fight again. You, you know nothing about the sport. You're disgraced to even come on there and talk about it. I'm sorry if you're watching this, but really not because you shouldn't be talking about it. It just makes me upset. It makes me upset. It just, it's, it's a bad look for the sport. And when you say something this stupid, you guys already said, that's why I'm not even talking about this particular take because it's just so stupid. It, it makes no sense. Go watch any big women's MMA fight. I mean, look at the champions we have right now. Zhang Weili, Valentina Shevchenko. Amanda Nunes, Amanda Nunes again, Chris Cyborg over in Bellator. Those were absolute killers. And when you talk about the sport of MMA, uh, women's MMA especially too, it keeps evolving. More and more people keep getting into it. It keeps getting better and better and better. The levels keep advancing. Ronda Rousey looked unbeatable until Holly Holm. Then it changed over again to Misha Tate and then Amanda Nunes. It keeps getting better and better and better. It's just like men's MMA, how we keep seeing it evolve, except for women's MMA is so rapid and, and, and getting there. It's amazing. Valentina Shevchenko is one of the best fighters on the planet today. She's an absolute killer, as with Amanda Nunes. Zhang Lee, unreal. Watch any of their fights. So many fights are just absolute bangers. To even say that, is, is nonsensical, and you're saying that, in my opinion. I don't even think he truly believes it. I think he's just saying that to start crap because he can and just to do what he's doing now, which is upset MMA people um, with those things. He should not be involved with the sport at all. They should leave him to the side. Those big four people should not mention anything regarding the UFC, Bellator, MMA, anything related. I don't want to hear it. If that comes on the TV show I'm watching, I'm flipping the channel. I don't want to hear it. That's I'm done. That's it. <laughs> I like it. You guys know last week I was in a bad mood because we had to discuss a particular person who was insulting our particular sport. No, we don't need to say a particular person. Who's that, Jake Paul? <laughs> and I was not in a good mood. I was, in fact, I was incredibly unhappy having to discuss this person. And I thought with this week and weeks beyond, we would have finally seen sense. Sunny days ahead, everybody's happy. Stephen A. Smith, you have successfully made me feel as bad as I did last week, so thank you for that. <laughs> With your ignorance of this sport and what women are capable of, someone just needs to take this man's mic away from him whenever mixed martial arts are being discussed. Because like Jack said, you know, Stephen A. Smith is probably 
the most famous journalist, if you want to call him, <laughs> out of you know anybody in the world, and especially being involved with Fox and ESPN and so on and so forth. He's got a ridiculously huge platform to spread this nonsense is what it is. So either educate yourself fully on what you're talking about, what you're being paid to talk about, or don't talk about it at all. Leave it to leave it to the people who know what they're talking about, the John Annex, the Dominic Cruises, the Paul Felders, the Joe Rogans, the Mike Goldbergs. Obviously, I'd yep. love to see Mike Goldberg back. Leave it to the people who live this and breathe this and know what they're talking about, Stephen. Stop trying to get clickbait and stop trying to cause arguments out of this because it isn't going to work. Leave yeah. it to the MMA Island podcast. Yeah. Hey, we're here. We're here. We're here. Uh, twice a week. Twice a week. We're here. <laughs> Let's invite him on. Let's invite him on and get a debate going. Let's send the messages. Let's do it. Hey, yeah. Actually, yeah. 100%. Yeah, and, and I'm sorry, just one last thing too, and, and you guys touched on it, at least show that you could maybe fight, and the one video where he tried to look tough after the Cowboy McGregor comments, oh man, like if he fought, like just just like I, I keep under Mace, like if he fought anyone, he would get just absolutely knocked out in three seconds, you, you have no ground to even talk on that. Uh, that, that you can that you can um, at least even fight. The takes would still be equally as stupid, but at least you could say you could fight. But he can't even say that. That's all I got. All I really yeah. got to say about that. No. I'm I'm fully confident. If I ran into Stephen A. in in a dark alley somewhere, I could whoop his ass. Oh, and no problem. <laughs> I think all of us good. I think uh, all yeah, of us yeah. yeah. So, this mom's throwing hooks at leg kick range. That's all I'm gonna say about that. Uh, he was cup checking the dude, but like missing every single time. Yeah. Josh Thompson was saying that he's like, I thought he was like gonna punch in the baby, and then he was coming up with the uppercut for the mother. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my gosh. He I deserves all, all the backlash that he's getting. He deserves because yes. that's just an ignorant thing to say for Thank for stuff like this, especially. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and all the backlash he's getting for that video. I, I, if you, I don't care if you're my best friend or my worst enemy. If I saw you in the mix like that, I'd be like, don't post that shit, bro. Like, don't post it. Because you're going to go viral for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. So, man, what a jackass. Yeah, I like what uh, Josh Thompson also said in that uh, that podcast as well. It was like, um, you're, you're talking all this crap about Cowboy. What if you met him in the elevator? Like, what would you do then? Like, would you still be, would you still say he's uh, ducking out of that fight? Absolutely not. No way. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to try and prove to the mainstream masses that you're at least interested in mixed martial arts and that you know what you're covering, you don't go about it that way, Stephen. <laughs> Come on, with your brain. <laughs> I mean, good grief. <laughs> at, at least practice it beforehand and then video it. You yeah, can tell but, that man's never had a mitt in his life. And then... Like a and, small and, clip of it, so it's not like... Two seconds right. is too much. Two seconds is too much. <laughs> and, and and the trainer's like, it's your last round, it's your last round. Like, how many rounds of that shit did y'all do? Like, for real. And you decided to take the worst one, apparently. He's got like, the wrong trainer with him, too. Exactly. That, that, why you find that guy? <laughs> Where did they find that dude at? You know what this is with Stephen A. Smith? You know that meme of head movement? That's his coach. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh. 
All right. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. I think that'll do it for this podcast. Amazing podcast, guys. Um, Please make sure to like and subscribe on YouTube. Listen everywhere. We're on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you can listen to podcasts. We are there. Um, please make sure to follow us on Instagram at MMA Island and check out our work on our website, MMAisland.net. We will be sending messages to Stephen A. Smith to try and get him on. Um, again, great podcast, guys. Um, great as always. Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. Nice one, guys.